so Joe, once again, we've got the DeLorean outside. It's time to go back in time. We need to gas it up. We do. I, I wonder what kind of uh, fuel she takes. <laughs> this time, we are going back to the 1997-98 season. A lot happened this season. A lot, first of all, that, that I didn't know about. Well, and, I, and I'm curious. I, I'm going to ask you later uh, because I was curious what piqued your interest about this season. Um, but first, I just want to know how you got yourself into a 1997-98 state of mind, or did you? Because on my way over here, uh, I was listening to Hello Nasty Ooh. by the Beastie Boys, which comes out in 1998 and may have one of my favorite opening lines. You know, there's there's favorite songs that start off albums, but right at the beginning of, uh, of Hello Nasty is... Um, uh, forget the name of the song now, but it's... Uh, well, it's 50 cups of coffee and you know it's on. And that's how the album starts, is 50 cups of coffee and you know it's on. And and boom. You're Hello about, Nasty. You're talking about Super Beastie Disco Breaking. That's right. That's right. Super Disco Breaking. So were you and a then big, the move and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So you, were you a big coffee drinker in 97, 98? I wasn't even a Beastie Boys <laughs> uh, listener in, in 97, 98, but came to it later. But that's what I was listening to on my way here. So... 97, 98 was my first year of high school. Okay. Um, and this might not surprise you at all, but to get myself in a 97, 98 frame of mind, I decided to listen to some Pearl Jam, <laughs> which w- might sound strange that I was listening to Pearl Jam in my first year of high school and, and still am religiously now. Um, that was the year not that... Strange, not strange. No. That was the year that uh, Yield came out. Still probably my favorite Pearl Jam record. And what I remember is waiting by the radio to hear the world premiere of Given to Fly, <laughs> which is that to, to someone born in, you know, in the last few years or whatever, that sentence might not even make sense. <laughs> um, so that's how I kind of got in that state of mind at thinking about, you know, who I was hanging out with and, and how I would have been um, watching hockey. Well, and we'll get to more music stuff because I have some of that, some some tabs open here on my Ooh. computer about what kind of music was going on, which, from my perspective, not a great time in the 90s for music. I guess that's arguable, but... It was a confusing time. Well, and there there's different shades of, of 90s music, right? Mm-hmm. I think some people's, some people's sweet spot is early 90s, like Nirvana, Pixies, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, that kind of stuff, like early grunge. Uh, my sweet spot is like 94 to 96, Radiohead, Beck, Smashing Pumpkins. Well, you know, it's a proven fact that 1994 is the greatest year for rock music of all time. And may- Second maybe to, to 1971, but the greatest. Mm. That, 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 that's a scientific fact. You, you can look you're it up. You're not wrong. And, and, and also there's NHL 94 oh. for Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. Which, which just a little bit of insight here into the personal world of the, the puck talks podcast this is now the 1994 podcast yeah. joe's uh, we're, we're doing our our fantasy draft joe is is joining uh the asterisk fantasy league and he's he's i know regretfully going to miss the fantasy draft and he therefore he's also going to miss the nhl 94 tournament that usually takes place so i i hear you got game but but for our listeners out there we, I can't ver. I won't be able to verify this information just yet. 
No, it's it's a rite of passage for sure. You go to visit a buddy and you play NHL together. Right. It's a, it's it's how you break the ice and have have a and get a feel for one another. You know what I mean? If you're like I I, I had a, a teammate on my rec hockey league team. We watched a Stanley Cup final game together. I went to his place. We had some beers. We played NHL. And you can learn a lot about a person exactly. by the way they play NHL '94. I'm I'm extremely defensive. I'll win a game mm, two to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so anyway, so 1997-98. Okay. Uh, I wanted to paint a, paint a little picture here because, uh, I don't know, when I, when you said 97-98 to me, not a lot immediately sprung to mind. Uh, of course, when you look at it, you see it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I was trying to figure out where where the NHL was at this point, and I did recall that that uh, one Dave Bedini, uh, who's, who, uh, whose book Tropic of Hockey... Uh, where he goes around the world, quite literally, looking for hockey in different places. Mm-hmm. But I remember that in sort of the uh, prologue to his book, he's talking about the impetus. How did he decide to travel around the world, northern China, uh, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. like uh, for the Middle East, like looking for inspiration, really, in the hockey world? Uh, because largely because well he outlines it here and talking about where he was for the ninety seven ninety eight season and I just want to read a little bit of a passage here just to uh, give you a sense of where the NHL was at. So Dave says, "I was given a final push to search abroad for the game by the National Hockey League, but it's not what you think. The determining factor for my trip came on the afternoon of June thirteenth, nineteen ninety eight. Janet, his wife, and I were." Sitting on the Chesterfield, Chesterfield, what a word, Mm. taking in the third game of the Stanley Cup final between the Detroit Red Wings and Washington Capitals. Outside, the sun beat like a kick drum against the curtains, and men in undershirts watered their sidewalks. Kids hoofed around a wiffle ball and played Soak the Cat. Soak the Cat? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to ask Dave about that. Uh, An ice cream truck dingled up the street. Who's winning? asked Janet, flipping through a magazine. I turned to her blankly. What's the score? Who's winning? she asked again. Oh, the score, I said, beats me. I was not being disingenuous. I had no idea who was winning. It was a terrible revelation. Years ago, my face would have been pressed to the screen. I would have memorized vital statistics and scribbled down line combinations on a piece of paper. I would have studied the team's home and away records, head-to-head season play, the dimensions of their arenas. I would have taped the games, bought and ported newspapers, and read columnists who'd followed the teams all year, not this year. Instead, I listlessly gazed at the television, waiting for something stunning to happen. The play volleyed from blue line to blue line, both the Red Wings and Capitals employing the trap, a form of hockey which is the athletic equivalent of playing Pong. Hockey Night in Canada announcers Bob Cole and Harry Neal, who had had suffered through every playoff series of the postseason, sounded as if they were describing the action with their chins propped up on their hands. Finally, two players I'd never heard of fenced for the puck and chipped it into the stands. The referee called a TV timeout, and both teams drifted, heads lowered, towards their benches. I looked at Janet. She looked back. I didn't say anything. I had no idea who was winning. I flipped channels. A blonde woman stood at a kitchen counter, squeezing butterscotch over shortbread cookies. This was more interesting, and so I watched Martha Stewart instead of the Stanley Cup final. I had no choice but to leave. It's, it's interesting... Uh, to hear that and Dave's prose great as always you and I are both out and out Bedini fans um, 
But when you think about that cup finals, and we're going to get into the cup finals later, yeah, that was the last time that the Stanley Cup finals was a sweep. Um, yes, and yeah. they, the last, the, the, though the previous three finals were also sweeps. And I wonder if that's got something to do with it. I can't even, if, you know, and, and part of the the fun of doing these these season look back series this you know these shows is that we kind of get to compare what was happening then to what's happening now like i can't even imagine a stanley cup final sweep you know even if even when we've had a few one or two series in in the last 5 years where i was like this is a real mismatch and mm-hmm. this is not a pickem i still can't imagine I, I i actually have a tough time imagining a a a five game series so perhaps the sweep um bored the death not only out of bedini but of but of other fans right like wouldn't a sweep wouldn't a stanley cup final sweep by game three really get to you as well yeah i think that was how the 2014 final felt for me with the kings and rangers i thought i thought yeah. that the kings really had their number and it was just a matter of time uh it was also in 98 the last time that they were back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. So right. that that might uh, that might have been a somewhat of a drain on some fans unless you're a Red Wings fan uh because the Red Wings won in 1997 and 1998 and I definitely wanted to talk about Steve Eiserman eventually, but we'll get to all that good Detroit Washington stuff eventually. Uh we want to start from the top. Sure. Uh, and a little bit of off-season news drama. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Messier uh, signs as a free agent, um, leaves the New York Rangers after delivering the Rangers their first cup in 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 many 50, many fifty four years fifty four years. So he signs with the Canucks. Um, dun dun dun. Exactly, and he's thirty six years old. Um, but again, this is a time when experience and 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 intangibles are are of, of a much larger you know they carry a much more valued currency i guess um and he he kind of returns to canada and trevor linden longtime captain mr vancouver canuck uh he gives up the captaincy which proved to be a very unpopular move to say the least i mean this is like it's it's not exactly the same, but when Wendell Clark was traded from Toronto for Matt Sundin, who eventually became the captain, mm-hmm. it wasn't as direct an instance of of an immediate 180. Uh, but that was a tough time enough for Leafs fans to see Clark go, for him to be replaced by someone else. Uh, took people a long time to warm up to Matt Sundin. They eventually did. This is it's not totally the same case, but it was like the Canucks' own version of Wendell Clark. Uh, having his captaincy lifted, he's still there in the dressing room. And this guy, Mark Messier, who by no means is any slouch, he has all those, what, six Stanley Cups at that point? Yeah, he's a leader and he's captain-worthy, but Trevor Linden is still is still in the room. It's like, it's, like, mm-hmm. it's like being in a new relationship and being next-door neighbors with your ex, kind mm-hmm. of, right? And the Canucks just bought him out, finished uh, last in the Western Conference, third last um, in the NHL managing just 25 wins um you know i I think you and i can only uh guess but i have to imagine that that kind of um that kind of change played really didn't play out well in the dressing room and i think that really affected the on-ice product um 
And, and Canucks fans hate Messier. Yeah. The only they're the only fan base who hates Messier. And, well, that's and, a fan base with a lot of hate. Period. But yeah, but but that's that's a that's a good reason. I yeah, think. that's a good reason to dislike a player. Maybe not the person, but that's a good reason to dislike a player and an era. Uh, that that let them down. Kirk McLean also is traded from the team at this point. Uh, Coach is fired. I mean, yeah. w- I'd like to get um, Messier and Linden in a room together now, <laughs> but uh, a <laughs> bit ambitious right now. But yeah, I think that's that's kind of that's a, that's a move that that I think is maybe outside of Vancouver forgotten about. When we play the Jersey game uh, with mm. Messier, it's he's in a Rangers jersey, mm. and you don't. I mean, the the other thing about Messier's then he he was there for three seasons I mean it's not like it was a one and done with him he had to stick it out for three more seasons yeah one one I think was injury plagued yeah Uh, the next season he only played in 59 games still squeaked out 48 points um pretty impressive but yeah so the Messier thing is is kind of that this is a season that that Canucks fans would likely want to forget um, when you go through the season, I mean, Mark Messier, it's certainly one of the all-time greats. Um, when you go through Messier's season, okay, so he didn't have a great season, but one thing that I kind of shared with you, um, and we're kind of hopping around everywhere here, um, is the first and second all-star teams. We're not talking about the, the, the mid-season all-star game. We're talking about the all-star teams. Um, if you look at the list of players, and this also ties into the fact that the cup final was boring because you had some of the best players, I would argue, to ever play the game, all playing in the league at once. On these first and second all-star teams, Hasek, Brodeur, Gretzky, Solani, Pronger, Niedermeyer, Blake, Forsberg, Lidstrom, Jager. All bottlenecked into the trap, the neutral zone trap, right? Right. And so I can see why, to come back to it, I can see why a guy like um, Bedini, who, you know, probably grew up with a much more um, colorful version of the game. The 1970s. Right. uh, The 1980s, which were fight-filled and mustachioed. Uh, The 90s were colorful, but... And, and and the the quality of the players was at an all time high, but the quality of the games yeah. were were sometimes debatable, and and that Which and is that's, why. that was the trick because I think and you know we grew up in that era, we all have favorite players and favorite and and memories from that time and 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 what talent all in the league all at the same time, uh, but you know you, you you put those teams on the ice and you put ten guys out there and. It wasn't always the most entertaining hockey we'd ever seen. Which is why people were really looking forward to the 98 Nagano Olympics. The first time um, that NHL players would represent their countries at the Olympics. And this was looked at. And that's what got me thinking about this season to start. Um, okay, yeah. Because, again, we're, we're still in that international tournament frame of mind. A really strange tournament to watch in Canada because when... And, and I know I'm not alone. When you think the 98 Nagano Olympics, you think of Wayne just slumped on the bench um, after the 
semifinal shootout loss to the Czech Republic. You think of Ray Bork in the shootout. You think yeah. of Hasek stopping uh, Brendan Shanahan to advance to the final. And then Canada loses in the bronze medal game, right? Great, great players um, in the league. Really, like, to look back, just some absolutely <laughs> incredible players playing the game. Um, and, you know, as, as I know that as Canadians, um, well, personally, I walked into this tournament or... I didn't walk into Nagano. Yeah. First, I had to, back then, I remember having to ask a lot of I questions. I walked across the Pacific yeah. Ocean. Yeah, found myself in Nagano. No, I had to figure out where Nagano was. Um, you know, it just didn't seem um, right to me. And looking back now, like, if, if that happens now, that, that's so exciting. Like, if, if Canada loses in the semifinal in a shootout with Sid on the bench... To the Czech Republic. What a, what a story. Uh, what do you remember about the Nagano Olympics? I remember that obviously the games were at the wrong time. So it was, it was a lot of like catching little... Just for us, it was wrong. Yeah. It was yeah. all wrong. It was just like, you know, the games would be at a weird time in the day, maybe the middle of the night or like three o'clock in the morning or whenever they were. I remember just hoping to catch glimpses here and there, whether mm. it was a replay on the CBC Olympics uh, and they, I don't even think they could really show replays on like a TSN mm. at some point because they wouldn't have had the rights yeah. to the footage. So it was just a scramble to to catch parts of games. Um, I remember Patrick Wad demanding that or, or giving Team Canada an ultimatum saying, I'll only come if I play every single game. Well, that doesn't sound like Patty Wad. No, <laughs> right? Martin Brodeur, recent Stanley Cup champion, on the bench for yep. the whole tournament. Uh, and it was weird with with Brodeur in international hockey because he's on the bench in 98. He doesn't start in 2002. Of course, he wins eventually. Mm -hmm. But he even has to fight through the Curtis Joseph-Pat Quinn tandem yep. in 2002 to get some game time. Finally, in 2002, he gets to play and he gets his gold medal. But Patrick Waugh plays every game and... Canada was was fine, but uh, but it was it feels like that lost Olympics for for Canada. Not that the world revolves around Team Canada. That's right. I'll say it again. Not that the world revolves around Team Canada in international ice hockey. But Did you hear that? That's the sound of all our listeners turning off. I hope not. I hope there's some guy in Czech Republic right now listening to this uh, with uh, with bated breath. So. Yeah, I, I honestly, it's I honestly, it's more, it's more memories of recalling the '98 Olympics yeah. than it is being there at the time. I was, I was 11 years old. I'm in grade six at this point. I'm in Miss Wu's class. You know, I'm I'm playing house league hockey. Uh, so, but you look back now. I mean, you you wonder how much has changed because I mean we're 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 coming up. It'll be 20 years uh, with the 2018. Olympics coming up, which will be in the same time zone, right? Um, and you have to wonder if, if um, nowadays, where people need their content much quicker, if again, if we were kind of complaining, and this was on TV, and everybody had TV, and it was readily available, um, you have to wonder if if that does make a much bigger, and it really hurts. Um, you know, the chances of getting the NHL players in the Olympics even more so now 
back then it was kind of this cool, fun experiment. I think you have to look at it now and say, well, if it's not in the best time zone and if you're, you're not going to get great live viewership, you maybe just have to say, what's the point? I, I think it's exciting because what, what, you, what you don't have after 1998 is you don't have the mystery of international hockey. Mm, yeah. All of a sudden, you know every single player and every single team and it's just an NHL All-Star tournament. You know, in, in 1994, we're introduced to Paul Correa. Yeah, know, uh, that kind of thing, uh, or or a, a visiting, or I should say, uh, a team. You know, from uh, from Europe or Russia uh, plays, and you're seeing these guys play for the first time. It's a little bit what you get with the World Junior Tournament now, where you're introduced to char- to characters, players who who uh, are having their coming out party. So, well, and and for one thing, on the Olympics, uh, the return of Bettman v. Ron McLean last night, uh, which was which was so good. I didn't know how how much I missed Ron McLean's sit downs with Gary Bettman as a facet of Ron McLean being back with Hockey Night in Canada. But they chatted all about the Olympics last last night, and uh, last night being September twentieth, um, and you know. Gary Bettman was being very careful not to say we've made up our minds, but he's basically said the IOC is refusing now to pay for basic accommodations, insurance, mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that costs, he says, millions of dollars, uh, which to him, it seems like, and the owner, NHL owners, obviously, that it's kind of a no-brainer to say no this time around. But he's there also pumping an event that is meant to be the viable alternative to the Olympics. The other um, really interesting um you know, element of of ice hockey at the Olympics was Canada losing in the gold medal game in the women's tournament. Yeah, they lose three um, one. It's the first time it's women's hockey, right? Uh, at all yeah. in the Olympics. Yeah. So again, this looks like it. Sh- this this seems like it should be a slam dunk. Um, they lose three one to the United States. Also of note, gotta mention, Finland wins the bronze. Amazing, defeating China in the bronze medal game. What? I know. I know. Um, the burgeoning hockey nation of China. But but no, the United States beats Canada. And we all know the mythology that was built up afterwards at the 2002 tournament where, you know, Wickenheiser delivers her outright emotional speech after the game when Canada wins double gold. Um People talk about the the kind of the, the panic that occurred after Canada lost, placed fourth um, in the men's tournament, but the women's tournament too. I wonder how much kind of um, soul searching went on um, in the women's game afterwards. Because if if Canada is expected to win in the men's tournament, it I would almost assume back then it's an outright given that the women should win as well. I don't know. I don't. I don't recall that kind of uh, disdain for for that loss uh, because I think we were all being introduced to the notion then that really there were only two hockey powers in women's hockey, the U.S. and Canada, and probably. I mean, again, like I, I, I wouldn't have had. Uh, like I said about about the the men's tournament, I I could only catch it in in spurts, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't have a strong memories of being there. But 
but uh, yeah, I I don't know about that pressure because I mean, that's a, that's a pretty great accomplishment uh, and it sets off a rivalry Mm -hmm. that, that is still going to this day. And the U S has not in, in women's hockey has, have they been shut out since in, uh, in terms of gold at the Olympics? I believe so, because um, if, if uh, Canada wins in 2002, Right, six. They win ten. in two thousand and ten for sure, in women's right. Um, well, and then and then twenty fourteen, and and you know talk about like parallel stories going on. The 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 men fail in ninety eight. Mm-hmm. Canada gets a silver, uh, which I which yeah I, I don't remember there being a lot of uh, people being down on them, but uh, but in two thousand fourteen, of course, Canada repeats in the men's tournament as gold champions. But mm-hmm. but that women's final. Oh, Canada US wow. was far more entertaining, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It was Canada Sweden in uh, in Sochi. Yeah. And I think it was like a 3-1 game with an empty net goal. Yeah. Like it just was oh, what a comeback, it didn't though. have the, in the women's game. Oh, what yeah. a comeback. Oh boy. The post. Yeah. That goal post. So so yeah, perhaps um yeah, maybe a good thing looking back because it 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 inspired a a bit of a rivalry. Um Totally. We, let's let's get back to the NHL because a lot of really interesting stuff happened, and we're going to kind of bounce around. Um, well, and I was going to say, unless you had something right there, because if we're talking Olympics and then the NHL season, yep. this is the Dominic Hasek era. Right. They win gold. He's the star of the tournament, and he's in the middle of back-to-back Vesna seasons and back-to-back Hart Trophy seasons. Right? So mm-hmm. this is something the goalies just do not do. They do not win back-to-back heart trophies gold medal in the same year in the same stretch of time yeah so wh- what did you feel about how like what did you think of dominic hasek at the time what do you think of him now uh he was a divisive goalie back then i loved his mask i will i i <laughs> did and always but you know and loved his his mask and and i wonder if had i been older and and much more involved in the game and covering the game i would have appreciated him as a non-vanilla yeah. Uh, player because this is a, a guy that brought an unconventional style of play um, to a position that was very much um, back then dominated by by one country I mean I don't know if um, the Finns and the Swedes had kind of developed into the goaltending you know schools that they are now and just just pumping out these great goaltenders and this is a guy um that was a little bit, a uh, little bit older. It seemed a little bit started wiser. later in his career. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a flopper. He played an unconventional style. He had the unconventional uh, helmet, but and he acted out on the ice. He'd get mad. Yeah. He'd throw his glove, his stick. Uh, he was very vocal in post game interviews. He would just be completely blunt. Mm-hmm. That kind of blunt European dry sense of humor that we can all appreciate. Um, I, I personally at the time didn't like him because you're young and you're a fan and you take sides Mm -hmm. you know and so everyone else is the enemy and he was he was weird and i didn't like his goalie mask i thought you know this was this was a fantastic era for the goalie mask and he was doing everything to uh deaden the momentum we had eddie the eagle we had felix the cat we had martin broder's mask when you think of broder you can see it immediately Mm -hmm. when you think of patrick why you can see that mask mike vernon's uh mask with the with the calgary flames uh it's it's so colorful it's so cartoonish almost it's fun and then dominic hasek just has this practical you know strange looking otherworldly mask and he just he looks like the villain 
you look like the villain if you're a 12 year old kid at that time uh who you know is listening to this guy with a strange accent play for the buffalo sabers and have a sub two goals against average you know know. for for what felt like the entirety of the of the mid 90s um but but looking back now what a what a tremendous thing that not only back-to-back Vezina is not only gold, but back-to-back heart trophies. I don't know how you feel about that because some people don't love goaltenders getting the heart trophy because I suppose it could be argued that they could almost win it every year. You know, that a goalie is so fundamentally important to a team and they're in every minute of play and they play the majority of games that that being valuable is sort of a given as a goalie. And so awarding them the heart trophy is is it goes i i think, when it, when I think he, it bothers some when he plays 72 games it, which is again kind of unthinkable now but he plays 72 games he logs uh well over 4200 minutes 13 shutouts um <laughs> so I, that that kind of seems like a slam dunk to me i love the idea of of the goalie um being awarded the Hart Trophy because I still think it it doesn't... I'm not going to say it doesn't happen enough, but I think when it does happen, we recognize that this is a otherworldly goalie. Um, Carey Price. Yeah. And I mean that he... (laughs) Carey Price's season, um, I think that season we'll talk about in the same vein that we will talk about Hasek's 97-98 season. And if it weren't for... Price's injury would he be would it be a back-to-back Vesna situation would it possibly be a back-to-back Hart situation uh it could be argued he he is in that stage in his career where he's really hitting his stride really so, unbeatable yeah this is a good time for for the Sabres too I mean they you know they they win 4-1 over Philadelphia in the first round uh they sweep Montreal in the second round of the playoffs and lose to um to Washington in the conference finals, but this is a this is a good time for for Buffalo, and I think Sabres fans remember Dominic Hasek rightly. Oh you know? sure, well they they would they would, and and, the, and I guess I was I was thinking you know how other people perceive him as 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 non fans. Um, I'm going to do a quick top ten just to just because we need to spread our wings a little bit more mm-hmm. and, and be and try and get the rest of the league involved here. So a couple quick top tens, top ten in scoring this year. And by the way, uh, the top seven of 11, 11 yeah. scorers are European. So we have this wave of Russians and Europeans, especially in the late 80s, early 90s. And here we are in 97, 98, leading the league. Yarmer Yager, 102 points. Peter Forsberg with the Colorado Avalanche. Pavel Bure still with the Vancouver Canucks. Wayne Gretzky still kicking it with the New York Rangers, gets 90 points, finishes tied for third. John LeClaire, mm-hmm. part of the Legion of Doom. Mm-hmm. Zygmunt Palfi of the New York Islanders is sixth in scoring. Ron Francis in Pittsburgh. Timu Solani with the Ducks. Jason Allison Mm -hmm. with the Bruins, who have a good year. Uh, Pat Burns wins Jack Adams. Mm -hmm. And Joseph Stumple of the Los Angeles Kings. I haven't heard that name in a million years. Uh, And then quickly, the goaltenders in order of goals against average. And we start with 1.88 Goals against average, the leader this year, Ed Belfour with the Dallas Stars. Got a short story about him. Martin Brodeur, Tom Barrasso, Pittsburgh Penguins. Hasek is actually fourth in goals against average. Uh, Ron Hextall with the Philadelphia Flyers. 
Trevor Kidd on the newly minted Carolina Hurricanes mm-hmm. who start their season in the NHL this year. Uh, Jamie McLennan, St. Louis Blues. Yep. Jeff Hackett, Chicago Blackhawks. Olaf Kolzig, of course, of the Stanley Cup finalists, Washington Capitals. And Chris Osgood, of course, with the Detroit Red Wings. Some great goaltenders in there. And those last two uh, were the two that, that took their team to the Cup final. Um, again, it is really... It's, it's not just when we talked about these great scorers. I mean, there are some incredible goalies all-time goalies on that list, a few. And neither of them uh, make it to the cup final. Um, So I I do think that I can see why um, it would have been possible to be bored, to have been bored by this season, because wouldn't it just feel like an incredible letdown towards the end? With Sorry, with who? Well, with, with you have all this talent. I mean, again, hindsight and all that but when you look back at the incredible talent you know well was, and and the upsets right like right. like uh uh pittsburgh is upset in the first round i actually remember sitting in front of my tv watching new jersey first first yeah. uh, seed upset by ottawa the eighth seed in the first round yeah montreal the seventh seed um i remember benoit brunet streaking down the wing and going shelf on tom Barrasso to eliminate the penguins the funny memories you have of, of like wh- why do i remember that i don't know i just yeah. know i was in front of my tv watching that game um buffalo was an upset yeah a bunch of upsets uh quick story and i don't know if you have specific memories from this season whether it's playoffs or games or anything but uh for me at this point the leafs were now two years outside of the playoffs mm-hmm. so 96 97 97 98 they didn't make it mm-hmm. uh the first thing i switch on when playoff starts 96 97 is the first round matchup between the dallas stars and the edmonton oilers oh, yeah. and this is this is a, a tech, tectonic shift for me as a fan because i go from just watching leafs games to being able to appreciate others and all of a sudden curtis joseph who i'd known a little bit about becomes this absolute hero uh, with this Edmonton Oilers team that doesn't go anywhere beyond the second round uh, with with this era of teams with, with Ryan Smith and, and Doug Waite and Jason mm-hmm. Arnott. But, but they take the second-seeded Dallas Stars team to seven games. Curtis Joseph robs Joe Neuendijk on the goal line in game seven of overtime right before the faceoff where Todd Marchant goes down the ice and scores on Andy Moog mm-hmm. and it's and sort of a sort of two stories come out of this because on the one hand Curtis Joseph becomes a hero of mine and in 97 98 they upset the Colorado Avalanche yep. and Patrick Waugh uh, in another seven game series and it's 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 one you know platinum hit after another with Joseph like he does great in St. Louis Edmonton he pulls off these miracles comes to Toronto they have a couple great runs but but uh, uh, I think I think that really impacted the Dallas Stars in ninety six ninety seven when Cujo really gave them a hard time because Andy Moog is a net for them, mm-hmm. and the following season they pick up Ed Belfour, and they don't quite get there this year. They lose to Detroit in the in the I think it's the Western Con- yeah Western Conference Final. So they almost get there, but I really f- I, I really feel like that Dallas team in ninety six ninety seven was good enough to win despite their goaltending yeah. and maybe they go out and get Belfort and and in two years in 99 98 99 
Dallas, of course, wins the Stanley Cup. They they were a team that, that I think this era is really marked by the New Jersey Devils, Detroit Red Wings, and Colorado Avalanche sure. as repeat Stanley Cup champions. But that Dallas Stars team is a close fourth for this era in terms of teams that are always, always there in the playoffs. Again, um, when we talk about some of the great players, Mike Padano deserves mention there too. But in talking about that, does it not seem strange to you how frequently big-name goalies moved around back then? Yeah. I mean, if you just look at... If we just talk about Cujo and Ed Belfour, obviously there's the Toronto connection there, but we've just listed a whole bunch of teams that they all played for. And in and around this era, um, goalies are, are moving around, and you just don't see that happening today. You just don't see these big-name top-ten goaltenders shifting so frequently, right? Yeah, I mean, with the exception of Broder, I think, and Hasek, you have Patrick Waugh very infamously going from Montreal mm-hmm. to Colorado. You have Ed Belfour, who seemed as much a staple of the Chicago Blackhawks as Tony Esposito was, uh, moved to Dallas, which at the time, if you think, if you, you see, you see uh, Belfour go to the Dallas Stars, and yes, like I said, they had a good team before then, that really, I think, legitimized that star team when you when you when you place an Ed Belfort, it comes mm-hmm. with that cachet uh, all of a sudden, and then it only takes them two seasons to yeah. to win a Stanley Cup. Um, Chris Osgood, who's known as a as a Detroit guy, uh, spends time with uh, with the Islanders and the uh, St. Louis Blues briefly. So yeah, it's it's a weird time of flux in a very defensive era for the NHL. You have goalies bouncing around, and and it's interesting. It's interesting when that happens because goalies, and, and like I said with the mask stuff, you get these characters almost as goalies who establish themselves in the 90s, and for them to uh, switch teams is, is really jarring at first. The Carolina Hurricanes entered the NHL. This is their first season. Um, I, I do remember looking back on that one um, and kind of going or sorry they didn't they they didn't expand let me take that back oh they moved yeah they relocated the Hartford Whalers which again anybody who grew up playing NHL 94 has a soft spot for the whale um this is just kind of a we're right in the middle of the southern expansion mm. um so this one didn't feel so uh i guess strange because the NHL had already gone to Florida um, they'd already gone to California. Um, we know the next season they'll go to Atlanta. Um, but the Carolina one didn't seem so strange. And it, I think if you look back on, on teams that have either relocated or expanded, I'm not going to say that one gets forgotten, but it did kind of slip under the radar. Perhaps it's because the move wasn't that far. I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and, and I'm really speaking from like my my 12 year old self. Uh, but I think this was one of the biggest who cares moments yeah. uh, of teams moving around for me, and maybe still my all time least favorite jersey. Oh, they like, haven't even made an effort to change it up. They've had one third jersey. It's it's the Carolina toilet bowls. Really, what are you going to do with, a, what what gonna do with like? a hurricane? You know, like when I'm bored, when I'm bored and I'm sitting somewhere, I'll start drawing those like tornadoes. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to put that on a jersey? You know what? The, I mean, a lot of a lot of shit happens in a hurricane. Things right. get damaged. Things fly around. It's chaos. And instead, we're looking at a 
like a urinal cake it almost looks like the logo right it only takes five seasons for them well i guess only five seasons you know after they move include sorry five including that first season they're cup champs uh, um are you are you if you're a long time fan of the whale mm. are you bitter or are, are or are you seeing some of those players you know and is is it still ron your, francis yeah. Stuff, yeah well are are montreal expos fans still washington nationals fans do Expos fans follow that team? Five years afterwards, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't, what's, the, uh, what's the statute of limitations on yeah. cheering for your team, um, if at all? Well, I guess it depends they if they relocate. If, or if, there's, if no team replaces them, right? Like, does Hartford have a team now? Do they follow? Like, do Hartford fans, do they get into the Rangers or Islanders? Yeah. Or do they continue with Carolina? Uh, that's a good question, but... So they'll soon be entering um, their 20th season. Um, I guess next season it would be 20 years, not necessarily 20 seasons. Do you see, like, is this one that we, we mentioned that it kind of, you said it's a who cares moment. I say it kind of slipped under the radar. Is, is that, is that the Carolina hurricanes of the future? They're just there. I know they've put some incredible pieces, especially in the back end in place. And I can't wait to watch them this year. I think they're a team that's really going to take a lot of very, interesting and exciting steps forward but as far as being a a team that's that it's a, a important component of the nhl are they going to remain just kind of a meh okay they're their team totally totally yeah and especially with the fact that they've they're a team that hasn't had a lot of changeover i should uh, i should clarify they didn't win the cup in in five seasons they no. made it to their no, first yeah, cup understand. final yeah yeah, yeah. And speaking of who cares years, the 2005-06, uh, maybe we'll get around to that season, but uh, Chichu wins the Maurice Richard mm. uh, trophy and Carolina takes Edmonton in the Stanley Cup final in the in the NHL season that should just be referred as the asterisk, basically. <laughs> it's that first season out of the lockout that, when everyone is still a, figuring out how to play hockey again. Well, the 2012-13 season... That's what we named this. That's why we named our league Asterisk. Oh, is way. that right? Yeah. So just a little, uh, you're learning something on air here. <laughs> um, we should go back if we're talking the Hurricanes. I think we'd be remiss um, if we didn't talk about the Hurricanes offer sheeting. Yeah. Sergei Fedorov. In, a, um, in an era where this didn't really happen a lot. Not that it happens a lot now, but. No. This uh, is a story that I'd forgotten about. Completely yeah. forgotten about. So, um, Peter Car Carmanos Jr., am I pr pronouncing yes. that? Yes, yeah, yeah. He, um, so what he did, he put a six-year, $38 million offer sheet on Fedorov. Um, and that, in turn, forced the Red Wings to sign him for probably a lot more money than he was worth at the time. And this is after they win the Stanley Cup in 1997. So he sits out. Mm -hmm. Most of the ninety seven ninety eight season, I think he plays twelve or so games in the regular season, and then and then through the playoffs. But he sits out most of the year, which is a pretty remarkable for a, for a team that's just won the cup, and then helps them <laughs> repeat as cup cha cup champions. Uh, you know, the, and Fedorov is is I think is real the real sizzle on mm -hmm. that team at the time because you have Steve Eiserman, but and I wanted to get into Eiserman eventually, but. But but Fedorov is the real sizzle at this point. I think he's wearing his white Nikes, mm -hmm. right? 
he's in he's in Nike commercials all over the place, and and, and you have this offer sheet. So can you imagine? Sir, I mean, it was hard enough for me to see Sergey Fedorov on like the Washington Capitals yeah. or the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, but uh, Sergey Fedorov on the Carolina urinal cakes get that, ready that just for what it killed though. me but hey get ready for it that's the kind of thing that we're going to see in las vegas yes. you are going to see and and don't you don't you almost have to make a move like that don't you almost have to do something that brings in a star to sell tickets and georgia mcphee is going to deny it but but uh, what's his name the owner bill foley yeah yeah he's going to push for that he's already oh, shown sure. he's a super charismatic guy Right, like he he wants to he wants this to be a show too, right? you know. You and they know, and, and they're set up to be competitive right away, so yeah. it's not like their best player is going to be thirty eight years old. I mean, that's a lot of money for Fedorov at the time, but you know, I think I like offer sheets. I think I I think I'm for for yeah for people on the outside of the game. It's yeah it's great. It's, it's fun. a it, I, I will admit it's a greasy move, but um, you know. He, you have to do something to to get people interested, especially in Carolina, right away. Um, but yeah, interesting that that um, you know they would then those two teams would then soon meet in the Cup Finals as well. Um, this but, was well, yeah. and, and just a quick note, and, and you can continue. Is uh, we brought up George McPhee. This is his first year, yeah, as GM. Yeah. So he takes over for uh, Capitals team, which is just building itself up. And it's his first year, and he takes him all the way to the final, and then he's the Capitals' GM up until today, when he just takes uh, the uh, the Vegas job recently. So this is the this is not only the um, uh, the George McPhee era begins, but the Lindy Ruff era of yeah. coaching Buffalo forever and ever and ever. Uh, this was his first season as well. There was a few lasts in this season, and I want to Love touch lasts. on two of them. Love yeah. first and last. There was, there's, I want to talk about two lasts that occurred in the 97-98 season. The first last that we are going to talk about is the glow puck. <laughs> uh, Foxes. I thought you were going to say Slava Fatisov, but no, you said uh, the glow puck. No, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with the glow puck here. Um, I remember when it was debuted in '96. Um, I was at a family silly thing whatever and i snuck up into my grandparents room to to watch their tv and and i remember looking at this thing and i remember feeling i it obviously would have been pretty late at night um but i remember looking at it and and thinking am i in a dream like am i dreaming this happening um of all the concerns in terms of selling the game to a casual fan is being able to see the puck like what what am you know what 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 did i miss why is a why is the puck just kind of so easy to see now and and b um well b what did you think of the glow puck well i think the, first of all i mean the puck is a little bit easier to see now because it's in hd but but that but that was a uh, a funny question for canadians because you'd hear this constant refrain from either non-hockey fans or maybe american fans that yeah. oh, i can't see the puck and and i'd get this puzzled look on my face like oh i'd never considered that not seeing the puck was a distraction because because as a canadian or someone who has grown up watching and playing the game their whole lives you don't need as a fan watching a game to keep your eye on the puck at all times i'm watching body language uh i'm i, I can tell by 
how someone is skating and, and how someone is uh, either looking down or looking up that they that's have the puck. That's a lot more difficult to, to teach and kind of Totally, you but know, it's something that's that an innate until yeah. someone points out to you that that you have what they don't naturally. And so, like, you know, the puck shoots down the ice and, and I see 10 players all turn their heads in one direction. I know where the puck is. I don't have to see it, but I know where it is. And But I, I often hear from non-hockey fans, so I can't follow the puck. And I would say it's not important that you follow the puck. And that's why I think the the glow puck was a misstep because not, not only now do you always see the puck, but it's too much puck. Please back yeah. off of the puck stuff because there's a game going on and we're watching like an episode of the Jetsons or something. Yeah. I, what I distinctly re- remember was, was the streak at the end of the puck uh, when there was a slap shot. Um, and it bleeds into video games at this point too. We have the glow puck in video games, which, yeah. which you don't need. It's a video game. You can see everything. Right? Yeah. But that, yeah, that one kind of, I, I think there's, there's, I think there has probably been a lot of great, long form journalism on the <laughs> on the the glow puck but which which we didn't see i think a lot in canada either it was in fox so i, I only remember yeah. seeing it really at the all-star game that was when i caught it i think for the first time i mean again this is going to sound perhaps a bit obvious and a bit traditionalist but like if you are going to turn on a game on fox uh and and you're you're saying okay what is this this is hockey and you are going to see a glow puck um would that not scare you off in a way because you're looking at a game and you're kind of thinking i don't know a lot about this game to begin with as far as i know this is played by people in a country um you know hundreds of miles north of me and you know if you're turning it on for the first time wouldn't you say oh is this how they watch it this is strange because you you would 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 fox have said to their viewership by the way we're doing this just for you mm-hmm. which kind of seems like they're dumbing down the game a bit as well. It makes it makes it seem like hockey was in its adolescence. Yeah. You know, whereas the, they'd been a league for for uh, the better part of like seventy five years at this point. So uh, it it felt like they were playing catch up, like starting over fresh. But this is also the first five years of the Gary Bettman era. So this is really his one of his first major footprints. Right? Is how do we sell the game yep. to Americans? And this was one effort. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a joke, and there's there's tons already been said about about the glow puck, but I think it was uh, I think it, it was a a new NHL feel. Uh, like I was watching a clip of the Cup final, and there's this graphic. Do you remember the graphic? It was like and the, the NHL Cup crazy, and it's this like real like '90s era font. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the words are are like uh, experiencing an earthquake, and they're mm. all cracked and yeah. chaotic and cup crazy i mean this is how the game was sold a little bit especially in the late 90s well it's really being sold because the other thing we should mention we just a quick first uh the first time the nhl played games outside of north america they Mm. opened the season uh with a two-game series between the canucks and the mighty ducks in any guesses japan tokyo right of course because of the olympics yeah because of the olympics but also i'm sure to just broaden the reach um, well, and Paul Korea is yeah, uh, half Japanese. The, the Paul Korea connection there, but but in terms of also, um, you know, I mentioned being a traditionalist. This was the last season um, of the former Smythe, Patrick, Norris. That's a shock to me. Why? I didn't know they and they Adam were around Stitch. that long. Well, they by this point they had been renamed. 
Oh, I they see. They were I the see Atlantic, the Northeast, the Central, and the Pacific. I see. They had been renamed, and then after this season, they, they would right. uh, realign. Because at this point, the Leafs are still in the Western Conference. They're in the Western Conference, the former, much-beloved Norris Division. Yeah. Um, Josh I, and I, by the way, are, are repping Smythe Division today. I've got a Calgary Flames shirt. He's got a Winnipeg Jets hat. Which was a coincidence? Total I coincidence. I so. Let's go through these divisions just to kind of remind people of the the way that the game or, or your favorite team, who they used to play. Um, the Atlantic division was well, a little similar, quite similar, actually. The Devils, the Flyers, the Capitals, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Panthers, the Lightning. A very similar division to what we see now. Um, 97-98, the Devils uh, win this division quite handedly. Uh, so very similar division to, to kind of what we see now, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, outside of like the Penguins, uh, I think are the one uh, team missing from, from that group that you typically see together. You have the Penguins, Bruins, Sabres, Canadians, Senators, and Hurricanes. Oh, man, I do not remember that division being... that. That is a weird group to me because now that's like three different divisions split. Uh, like Like... Like that, outside of the Bruins, Sabres, Canadians, and Senators, you have the Hurricanes go off in a different direction. The Penguins go off in a different direction. But uh, a very evenly matched division back then. Only 15 points separate first to fifth in the division. Uh, they all qualify for the playoffs. Um, I, I look back on that now. Um, you know, nice to see the Bruins and the and the Canadians in the same division. Um, for... For the NHL, from a marketing standpoint, if this division were still in play, to have Sid play in Montreal a number of games, much more now, especially with the increased importance of division games, I think that probably would have, uh, it probably would still work. The Penguins win uh, the division this season. Um, But you don't have a Sid Ovi situation. If they're, not that they don't play each other ever, but you don't have like that, that, interdivision rivalry but they didn't have that to start anyway right interesting as well because you've got them kind of branding the league cup crazy right i'm gonna be i'm gonna be using that a lot now (laughs) you know you go home i only wash when i have to wash the dishes i only want i'm cup crazy i'm not doing the plates and i think i think the basically the the most common song i think i heard in in like nhl promo videos or uh, like uh, I think NHL '98 for for uh, for uh, Windows '98 mm-hmm. or whatever was uh, uh, I think it was maybe not, but I, I I when I think of this year in music, I think of Marilyn Manson's mm. the beautiful like the beautiful people all over the NHL yeah. highlight videos yep. like just be- like uh, none of the lyrics <laughs> just the just the song is is that that's what's going on and. Uh, but yeah, for for all those for all the star power in the league, they're not necessarily selling um, a a kind of head to head star uh, matchup in the Central Division, which was the Norris Division. You've got the Dallas Stars, the Detroit Red Wings, the St. Louis Blues, the then Phoenix Coyotes, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Toronto Maple Leafs. What a weird, especially the Coyotes. That's so yeah. weird. well. I think that's a hangover from the Jets. The Jets were in that division. There's a just. You, you've got a, a very weird 
um, I don't remember that at all. Make up there, but I again, the I the Norris division. He totally, but I, I, I uh, you know, when when you're that young and your team, my team, the Leafs, is out of the playoffs, I'm not paying as day to day attention uh, to it. Uh, I have no memory of the Coyotes being in the Leafs division. Uh, that is just too weird. Uh, the Leafs really bottom out this year. Sundin scores 33 goals, but. It's the last hurrah for my hero, Felix Potvin. Uh, and actually, in terms of goalies changing around, uh, Curtis Joseph comes to the team in July of 98. And the story goes that Ken Dryden, who had just taken over as team president of Toronto, and he helps move the Leafs to the east, yep. gets, them, gets them in division with Montreal, uh, where they still are. Uh, and he and Ken Dryden was very much about presentation of the team i Mm -hmm. think as opposed more so than like uh like on ice leadership uh but i I remember a lot of like like pomp and circumstance with ken dryden and and one of the stories that i've always heard was that he goes to visit with don me and curtis joseph's agent that summer of 98 and they have ice cream and i think ken dryden just kind of says like hey you should uh we should have curtis you know come to toronto and felix potvin is still there so when Joseph does sign in Toronto. Both those guys are still there, which makes for a really awkward time. And this is more 98, 99 now, mm-hmm. but Potfan at one point leaves the team, which players just did right. not do. Right. Like he started the season, but then he just like took off and he was like, this is too weird. And Curtis Joseph's here. And what am I doing? And this is goalies moving. This yeah. is goalies yeah. moving frequently. But the Leafs take a total nosedive. It's the end of the Potfan era, but it, but it's immediately followed by the Curtis Joseph era. Sure. Like right afterward. Yeah. Um, the Pacific Division, again, very similar. You've got the Avalanche, Kings, Oilers, Sharks, Flames, Ducks, and the aforementioned... Last place. Last place, Vancouver Canucks. So in looking at the realignment, I, I do think that the Central slash Norris Division um, was the division that kind of got shooken up the most. I mean... Wow, it just just roll with me for a little bit. If the if that Norris division, as it stands there, as it stood there, were still in play, very exciting division both now and in the future because you would have the Leafs and the Coyotes who have arguably the two best prospect bases in the league right now. Yep. So you've got teams that could contend in the future. You've also got the Blues and the Blackhawks, who are teams that are perennial contenders. Um, Really interesting division, and I'm not advocating a move back to this kind of thing, but um, I'm always in favor of of shaking up the the, the type of games that the teams play against each other. Um, Rivalries are all well and good, but I I don't think rivalries disappear if if you shake up divisions, right? So it would be... I, I could stand to see a little more. We were joking about it, but couldn't you stand to see a little more Coyotes Leafs games and say, "Wow, like let's get a look at at the uh, at the future of the league here," right? Yeah, I mean, uh, what I what I like about sort of like the narrative arc of a division mm-hmm. and how it changes over years is how teams are motivated by the best teams in their division to right. improve. So I always looked at the central division as um, the era when the Red Wings uh, continued to be a dominant team through the early 2000s and mid-2000s. Uh, that 
that Detroit Red Wings era really brought up the Chicago Blackhawks out of obscurity, the Winnipeg Jets, the St. Louis Blues, yep. who'd had a good yep. had a good run with Pronger, but once he was gone, uh, they bottomed out again. Uh, the Dallas Stars totally bottomed out. They're up again. I really felt like this. Feel like the Central Division was forced to play up to the Red Wings level, yeah. and, and that that's what I find so cool about looking back at divisions is Nashville. Nashville is a perfect example of a team that was beaten down by you know by the Detroit Red Wings of, of that era, and, and look how consistently good the Nashville Predators are now. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, not a ton of success, but but they ran into the Red Wings all the time. I think their first playoff series was against the Red Wings, and they got swept. But it was it was a constant reminder that if you're not as good as the best in your division, then you're working towards that. And now we look at the Central Division, and the Jets are going to have a tough time making the playoffs. But what a good team. I know. What a, what a relatively know. good team that this Jets team is now, that if they were in another division, I think they'd be a lock for a playoff spot. Yeah, um, and talking about building, you know, consistency, uh, we should talk. We should just do a, a few quick hits yes. before we wrap it up on um, a few other firsts and notable, uh, notable parts of the season. We didn't um, even get to much like movie and music stuff, which I usually like to do. But this was a this was also a weird year for movies. We mentioned music, but it was it was strange. But but let's wrap let's wrap up the hockey stuff and see if we can squeeze in some some pop culture at the end. George McPhee's first year as Capitals GM, and he heads to the Cup Final, um, a Cup Final team coached by Ron Wilson. This oh, is yeah. the only time Ron Wilson coached a team uh, to the Cup Finals. Interesting how the career of those two men has kind of gone in completely different paths. George McPhee becomes longtime general manager of the Capitals and, and did find some consistent success Um and Ron Wilson kind of, he very much uh, epitomized that revolving door coach, or well, the coach who goes through the revolving door, right? He he did have that stretch with San Jose, of course, yeah. uh, where he didn't get to the final, uh, but he, he he was that first era of Sharks teams that always makes the playoffs and never does anything, right? Did it, did it go straight to McLennan after that? It was Wilson, then McLennan? For for sharks coaches, I might be. I don't know if I'm missing someone in between there, but yeah. Uh, and then George McPhee also had to tear it down in Washington before oh, yeah. he built it back up. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, uh, it's also the rookie season for one Joe Thornton mm. with the Boston Bruins. Doesn't go exactly as according to plan uh, in Boston for Joe Thornton. Uh, the, I, f- I always find the story fascinating uh, and. What's interesting is the 97 draft, first overall is Joe Thornton, second overall is Patrick Marlowe. They end up together, of course, with the Sharks eventually. Right. But um, quick story about Joe Thornton. I You remember those old, uh, well, they still they still take place, the CHL prospect games. Sure. Where you'd have Don Cherry and Bobby Orr as the coach of each team. They'd of select teams. So I went to Maple Leaf Gardens to see uh, the 97 prospects game, and Joe Thornton is on the cover of the magazine, the program. And... So my dad and I are basically watching the game, looking for Joe Thornton and, and to, to judge, see how he plays and, and see what's happening. Of course, Patrick Marlowe's in that game too, but I don't. Rem- I only remember thinking that Joe Thornton was, and this was the story with him at the time, that he was a tall, lanky kid who had tons of skill and just hadn't come together yet. I think that was kind of the impression. Also, I saw a clip of Joe Thornton today wearing the number six in Boston. 
Huh? Yeah. All right. But uh, him and Pat Burns, I don't think, got along very well. But anyway, this is the be- this is the beginning of Joe Thornton. But uh, funnily enough, it's Sergei Samsonov who wins the Calder as a member of the Boston Bruins, not Joe Thornton. Not, he didn't have a, a great season at all. But but uh, uh, speaking of two guys whose careers split off in different directions, right. um, Pat Burns mentioned him wins the Jack Adams. Um, Third different team that he's won the Jack Adams with. Quickly. Yeah. Uh, A, is Pat Burns your favorite coach of all time? Mm. B, um, is Pat Burns your favorite coach of all time? (laughs) Uh, Pat Burns is my favorite coach of all time, like Felix Potvin is my favorite goalie of all time, in the sense that they were my childhood heroes. So they're imprinted on you. Uh, So after that, it's hard to even pick one. Um, But... Uh, the funny thing is like the thing about the early and this is late 90s but the thing about the early 90s is that you still have that hangover from the 80s which is like mullets and mustaches and man those early 90s Leafs teams and all around the league really there was not a team without a mustachioed gentleman right and like my dad had like a classic 80s mustache still does kind of oh yeah it's just grayer um uh so yeah, so guys like Jamie McCowan, mm-hmm. uh, Pat Burns. I just thought that's what all men grew up into was like hard-looking guys with big mustaches. I yeah. thought that's just what you did when you grew up. Like, here's a name, Dirk Graham on the Chicago Blackhawks. He had a big old dirty mustache as well. It seemed like everyone, at least one person on, on each team in the early 90s at least still. So, yeah, Pat Burns is just, you know, it's... It's a memory that 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 won't go away. It's uh, and it was it was great to see him finally win with New Jersey. I think what was it two thousand two thousand one two thousand two two thousand three. He wins the right. he wins his first and only cup with the New Jersey Devils. And it's funny if we play. He had a really storied coaching career, but if we play the Jersey game with Pat Burns, I don't put him in a in a I guess a, a Devils hat. And that's growing up in an era where where Burns was the king of Toronto. Uh, are one of the the kings of Toronto, but I I don't put them in a in a Devils hat if we play the the jersey. No, or hat not game. at all, not at all. Let's finish with a a sad story that hasn't happened, like a happy ending for this season. Um, so the Detroit Red Wings are Cup champions, uh, notable for two reasons. Um, first, and and it's a sad story that that has somewhat of a happy ending. Uh, Vlad Konstantinov, um, a vital member of the 97 Red Wings, uh, also cup champs, was paralyzed in a car crash um, after the cup final at a, at a, a celebratory party. Is that right? Yeah, I can't, yeah, can't, can't even imagine. So his, his uh, for those who don't know, his, his limo driver... Um, whose license was suspended, um, crashed, injuring Konstantinov. Um, so he's obviously not a member of the 97-98 Red Wings, but um, the 97-98 Red Wings play with a patch that says believe hmm. in both English and Russian um, throughout the season. Um, a great inspiration kind of, and, and after they win... In ninety-seven, ninety-eight, um, he's wheeled onto the ice. The Red Wings specifically went to Bettman, Gary Bettman, and said, even though he was 
did not play a game for us this season. We want his name inscribed on the Stanley Cup. Um, obviously, that happened. Um, so a really uh, touching, fitting end that that kind of speaks to the to the brotherhood of of the NHL, right? Uh, the Boston Bruins did that with Mark Savard as well, right? You know, uh, you can see it happening uh, in special cases like that. No, and, and this is also a pretty remarkable time for the Red Wings because they were a great team through the '90s. That they were they were kind of the San Jose Sharks uh, of now in the mm-hmm. sense that they always did well in the regular season, uh, and then would just stumble in the playoffs somehow. You know, uh, so back to back cups hasn't happened since. Uh, it didn't happen very often, even before then. Before, uh, you have to go back to the Oilers in the '80s, who would repeat. Um, no, this is really the beginning of the Detroit Red Wings as a true powerhouse once again in the NHL. And I, again, they they won um, both of their Cup finals in '97, '98 uh, via a sweep. I mean, if though over those two seasons, um, they lost. 10 playoff games <laughs> over two seasons. Um, pretty remarkable, pretty dominant team. And you wanted to talk about uh, Stevie Y. Yeah, because as go the Detroit Red Wings, so go Steve Eiserman in the 1990s. And, you know, he's he's a guy who's made a captain in the 80s of, at the time, they're referred to as the Dead Wings because they were just that bad. A very young captain, too, as I recall. Yeah, extremely young. Uh, poor, poor team, and it's not until the early '90s when when they really start to get going. Now, Iserman is a real, real heavy, heavy points producer. Now, it, you know, ten years or almost ten years earlier, eighty-eight, eighty-nine, he puts a hundred and fifty-five points on the board. He didn't really. He had one thirty-seven and ninety-two, ninety-three, but it seems like which, every which, fourth line grinder had a hundred yeah. points that season. Like but, he uh, wasn't, he did not win the scoring race with one hundred and thirty-seven points no. in ninety-two, ninety-three. Yeah, no. Um, but this was the season that that. Well, you had kind of mentioned this. He only played seventy-five games, uh, sixty-nine points. But so it's a departure from the the Steve Eisman, which is what I'm trying to say that that people have gotten to know, and yet. In the playoffs, 24 points through 22 games. Yeah. So this might be the season that solidifies Steve Eiserman as an all-time great. Yeah. And I think I think the interesting aspect of that not just the not just the success of him and his team, but a, a redefinition of who he is, and he becomes a little bit more of a defensive forward. Mm. He's not scoring 155, 137 points anymore. He's he's scoring at a perfectly fine rate. But he's playing more of a team game. He's a little bit more defensive. And I'm not suggesting that every great player should play that way. But I, I often think about... Steve. He evolved with the game, though. Yeah, and it's, yeah. and it's a trap game at that point, too. But I, but I often think about Steven Stamkos when I think of sure. Steve Eisenman as a guy who was brought into the league with a ton of hype. Mm-hmm. He very quickly becomes a captain on his team. Sure. Uh, he very quickly puts up tons and tons and tons of points. And yet... He doesn't quite have that championship yet. And so, you know, a great player, and, and quite, there are questions about Alex Ovechkin. There were questions about Sidney Crosby even after he won a single cup. You know, that second cup this past season went a long way to cementing, I think, this collective idea that we have about who Sidney Crosby is as a player. And until maybe until Stamkos wins that cup, 
you know, he'll he'll have kind of have a Stevie Y reputation, which is uh, or a Stevie Y of the '90s, yeah, or the, the early '90s reputation, exactly. And 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 I'm not saying that Stamkos or players like Stamkos have to play a defensive game, but I wonder if he if he found some ways to um, change the way he played a little bit, and and he's already doing that. I think he doesn't just line up at the faceoff dot anymore for one timers, but but you saw it with Iserman, and but what's interesting is that that's the Iserman we remember mm. is the ninety seven ninety eight and so on Iserman. We don't remember as much the ninety two ninety three the eighty seven eighty eight Steve Iserman because he was a guy who was hot shit who didn't have anything to his name. And there were so many then. other players like that. There were so many other offensive dynamos in the league, and and it's when you do something to separate yourself from the pack, like change your game. Or add another element to your game. And and interesting that, that you bring up Stamkos because uh, obviously there's a connection there. And, and I wonder if with Stamkos' new contract, that's a conversation that that Stevie Y and, and, and Stamkos are having. Hmm. You know, and, and um, who better, who's, whose brain is better to pick there? That'll, um, that'll be the story, I think, if, if, if these guys win a cup together. You know, is is that the passing of the torch? Or? Well, and and the the mirroring of their careers. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, ninety seven, ninety eight. When you pick apart this season, when you pick apart almost any season, a lot happened. Um, you wouldn't know it, you know. And like I said, when I first thought of it, I, I, I not a lot came to mind. But uh, uh, I'm not saying that this this season was like momentous and had a huge impact, but. Uh, but that you know that's that's why I like doing uh, the the story of a season because we uh, we we remember moments but we don't remember narrative arcs from September to June necessarily mm-hmm. and to to put all of this stuff together in the same pot uh, and see and see what happened when and to put it into context is uh, so helpful. I mean I you know I told I said at the beginning of our two thousand three oh four episode uh, I grew up watching you know Rock'em Sock'em tapes. And yeah, there's a lot of like hit clips and bloopers and stuff like that, which is fun, but it still kind of told the story or at least gave you clues as to what was happening around the league from beginning to end. And, uh, it's, it's sort of a lost art. So I'm glad we, uh, we get a chance to do this kind of thing. Cause I, I learn because I remember, right. And put it all into context. As always, if you have a particular season, you'd like to, to have us revisit, uh, please let us know on Twitter. Um, we've said it before. We'll say it again. Check us out on iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, next, it helps. It helps a lot. Next Puck Talks Live uh, is November 11th. Uh, perhaps we'll do one of these. Maybe we can uh, convince the, uh, the the boys upstairs to give us uh, more than uh, 20 minutes. Uh, we, we would love, and we've had some love for 1986-87. I would love to have one... Jeff Merrick uh, on stage with us because he often talks about that season. That that's also why I like telling the story of the season is because you find out from people that that stuff like that is very personal to mm. them. Uh, Chris Johnson has mentioned that 1992-93 was a big year for him personally. That's that's the season though. Yeah, like we yeah. are we are gonna hit the books on that one. That that might be our season closer. Um, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back soon. Let's do this again. Whoa, no.